This is a Media Lab podcast. I'm going to do it, Dave. I'm going to crash this plane right into the moon. In uh, the moon? Are we that close? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'd take the moon over where we've been. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're about, we're, we just passed Mars, but we're, I'm going to crash into the moon anyways. All right. Good. <laughs> we're going to survive, right? We're going to be good. Well, it depends. Uh, are we going to get into some sandy regions or are we going to go for those two bulldozers that are standing right in front of us? Yeah, who set those up? On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Well, welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm wearing very tight pants. And I'm The Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. And now we're on our way back to Earth. But like I said, we are... We are in it to win it. We are in the, the, the home stretch here, Dave. I can see it getting ever closer. We're almost back. This deep and rich fiction that we've built up over the past year is about to pay off in a major way, I'm sure. But the machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Vanishing Point. Name, Kowalski. Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam, former stock and bike racer, former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up, to get himself gone. Everybody's after Kowalski. Because you think we're queers. For one reason or another. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl, YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. Dave, I think we need to start off uh, with this. Are you a car guy? Uh, not really. No. What, what's the shock? What's the suspension like on that vehicle, that family vehicle you drive? Yeah, Mazda 3. Actually, you know what? I will say that uh, in my old age, the Mazda 3 is the favorite car I've ever owned because the few, the mileage, Kyle, I mean, you could put... You oh can just drive God. forever on you that You sound thing. like a billion years old right now. <laughs> Fuel's yeah, so expensive. It, 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 it's a, it is a minivan, but the mileage, the <laughs> mileage is great. <laughs> There's no good mileage on minivans. I don't know. I mean, I think every teenager, I don't even know if it's just a boy thing, likes cars at some point. You know, uh, but I was never like somebody who researched how... Uh, you know, the science of fuel injection and turbo systems. I think growing up, my favorite cars were things like the Supra. That's how old I am. Remember when the Supra was a cool car? No, I do oh, not. Oh, God. I, um, the thing about it, Dave, this is what I was, I was kind of leading up to, my dark, dark confession I have to make. I'm car blind. I, I literally cannot tell the difference between makes and models of cars. Well, nobody can now. <laughs> people they all people look will the say same. like, ooh, like 
that's a that's a Corvette or like this is like a whatever a Charger. I'm like, okay, I guess I don't know. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I can't tell the difference between them. A Charger and a Corvette look fundamentally different. However, you I will can say tell that to me. Mo- modern car design. I mean, I can't even tell the difference between a Mercedes and a Hyundai anymore. They've all right uh, amorphed into uh, amorphed morphed. They've anamorphed into that. Yeah, I've. <laughs> They're all like lions. That'd be cool if we went Voltron yeah. on it. I uh, I saw this picture though. I don't know if you'd appreciate this, but there are some conceptual images coming from Hyundai. I think you drive a Hyundai. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we were back on Earth, I would. If yes. they, uh, they're going to allegedly build electric vehicles, but that are shaped like 70s cars because they don't I know. need all the fuel. I actually kind of like the design That's weirdly enough. Yeah. So, yeah. I would absolutely have sex with those cars. Anyways, no, I, I can uh, I can tell the difference between cars. So I, I guess I liked cars more than you, Kyle. You have to. I, like, I just it was never. It's just never that person. Wait, why do you Me watch the dad, Fast and Furious movies? Do they all just look like sedans to you. They do. I, I could not <laughs> tell you what the difference between the cars are. Even people's like, ooh, like the the symbolism of of Toretto driving this car yeah, and the Charger and uh, whatever the other guy driving the, the other car. I'm like, oh come on, man. Oh, okay, There's guess, been like nine movies. I don't know. It's a they Skyline look, they GTR. Look exactly the same to me, and I can't tell the it's difference. It's a four wheel drive car, Kyle. Can you imagine racing <laughs> you can in a four wheel drive? Keep telling me information, Dave. It means nothing to me. They don't this drift. How? Except uh, in that movie. This is why my dad is so disappointed in me because uh, <laughs> we we have we split so so deeply on this because he is kind of a car guy. And me, my like clairvoyant nature of like you telling me a movie, and I can basically tell you what year it came out and the director and all the people who are in it, even if I've never seen the movie. And him being like, ooh, well, that's a 1954 Studebaker. And like, this is the design. And like, I can tell the difference between this and the 55 because the 55 added this element onto it. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I believe you. I don't know how to so guys are, this information. You guys are the same, but different. Yeah, exactly. No. That's very sweet, actually. <laughs> I, I guess this kind of leads up to that's. Cars, <laughs> this is general cars, <laughs> but how about Ooh, good the, episode? Like, the but I'm gonna say, like, the road movie, like, the idea of like you know, traveling long distances, getting mm. into adventures, that sort of thing. Any, any love for that type of film? I don't know, is that its own genre? Uh, give me some example. I mean, I to be honest, my confession is I thought Easy Rider is a little bit overrated. I was gonna wait for this, but I also don't like Easy Rider, yeah, but yes, but I think that's like a <laughs> cultural movie. You know, if you were living yeah. through the 70s, I, I was reading a book with uh, Hunter S. Thompson and, mm-hmm. you know, you, what, what they were going through in the 60s and 70s and motorcycle culture and all that stuff. Uh, you know, we just, I just don't get it anymore. Well, I can sympathize with it, but I, I, right. We're not in it. We're not in the thick of that kind of stuff. I didn't like your lawnmower movie. A lawnmower movie. David Lynch. What was that? Uh, oh, right, right, right. The straight story. Right. I don't know. That was boring as fuck. Fast and Furious? I don't know. But that's more of an uh, action. Not really. I, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, like even like uh, Little Miss Sunshine, right? They're in the van and, and traveling across. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's the... a good movie. Why am I blanking on the name? The the, the band movie with the Cameron Crowe oh, yeah. directed. Almost, Almost famous. famous. Yeah. That was yeah. okay. But both of those movies aren't, well, I don't know. That's probably not fair to say they're not about driving. They just use a cross-country trip as a backdrop for human drama. The, the Cannonball Run. Have you ever watched the Cannonball yeah. Run? Is that uh, with mustache? Bert. Uh, That's right. With one of the Berts. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's also not good, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Road Warrior is good. Well, like any Mad yeah, Max yeah. movie. Well, not any, but you know, the first and the last the, the, one. The, yeah. one, the one I was going to bring up 
it's such a dumb example, but it gives me an excuse to talk about this movie, which is a Goofy movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is Goofy and his son, Max, traveling across the U.S. Uh, no. To go to the perfect uh, fishing spot, except Max dastardly changes the map so he can go and see the Powerline concert. It's great wow. stuff. It's amazing. Oh, I just, uh, I liked Rat Race a lot. I thought that was a good movie. It's basically doing a very similar thing to It's a Mad, 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 Mad World from the 60s, which I also like. Does it need to be three hours? Probably not, but it's uh, it's it was. I like it. Can't change that. Around the world in Mm -hmm. 80 days. (laughs) Right. Which one? Which version? Yeah. I mean, we may not be bringing up the best of examples here, but I do have this, I don't know, affection for this idea of like traveling long distances i've done that before like driven a very long distance biggest one for me probably has been from calgary alberta canada all the way to seattle in one day um that's yeah, that, that was my mm-hmm. my big drive that's a big one um, 16 hours yeah something like that yeah. and i realized an hour from the border that i'd forgotten my passport excellent that was a great day excellent great day <laughs> But I have, I'm a Nexus member, Dave, so they let me through without my passport. Nexus is the best thing we ever invested in, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Uh, well, it used to be before uh, COVID. Before, you know, back when you could travel. Uh, here's a couple examples. Kodachrome yes. was good. You didn't like it? Don't know what that is. Oh, that's don't, the don't one with the... Uh, oh, man. It's about the last film photography, like... Uh, it's like a photography movie with Ed Harris and uh, oh, okay. something. And they just drive around. Anyways, that's a good movie. I didn't watch Green Book. Yeah, I agree, but it's fine. We're the Millers. Zombieland's in here. I don't know if Zombieland's a okay. good movie. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are dra- traveling uh, in that Isn't one. Isn't Death Race like in a arena? Aren't they just trying to kill each other? I've seen a lot of these movies, actually. <laughs> the Trip, Michael Caine. That's a good road movie. Michael Caine. Like I said, there's this weird affection I have, and I actually really love, not in winter, I'll preface this, not in the winter time, but I really, I really love traveling at night mm. on the highway. It's like your beans like are on, bat. you're just traveling, and oh, it's lost like everything is like nice. Yeah, yep. you're, just, you're socked in your own your own little bubble because you can't see anything to the left, right, uh, behind you. Even it's just like you're just your own like little speeding bullet that's going down. Okay, but even in the daytime, getting to see like the rolling hills, the different landscape. I do want to drive across Canada someday. Just yeah, to it's on ours. Go and see that I've done it. I think it'll be boring. But well, uh, I mean, we're going to do it. will be boring for sure. Yeah. Well, I think the prairies, right? Because literally just a single road. And then North Ontario is just trees and water, which isn't bad, but it's very, very far. Thunder Bay, just to get into Southern Ontario is probably another 14 hours. It's kind of stupid. It's yeah. a very big, big province. What a dumb country. Why are we so big? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think this is why North America loves car movies, because you have to have a mm. car to do anything in this continent. You know, it's it's a good point. So wide apart. I drove for a living for ten years. I was a field adjuster for an insurance company in Toronto. So I sat really for a living. I love driving. I don't know what it is. The sense of we control. We talked about your road rage before. Road yeah. rage, all that stuff. It's fun. I uh, but as my health condition worse. Like I've done stuff. I've never mind dumb things when I've been drinking. But I've been on the highway and I'll suddenly wake up in the middle of rush hour on the way home and I'd be like I don't know how the last five kilometers happened uh, so I don't know it's weird I've survived some stuff sometimes I have that same feeling of lost time while listening to this podcast but I'm beginning to think I've probably just had seizures isn't that creepy yeah yeah it's, uh, it's terrifying to me okay I lived through it I lived to tell the tale we should write a movie about yeah. it 
<laughs> Netflix will put anything on, honestly. I- <laughs> <laughs> Vanishing point two, the Dave Young story, Netflix original. Four hours of me falling asleep in a car. <laughs> Five out of five stars. Brilliant. How about this movie in particular? Anything that you know about Vanishing Point? No. Honestly, the name sounds like something like a Steven Seagal movie. I've never heard of this before. (laughs) Um, So I I have nothing. I got nothing. I first heard about this movie back when the movie Grindhouse came out. Mm -hmm. The Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino mashup. You're having a little Quentin Tarantino thing here. That's two movies in a row. I know. It's weird. And it's not like even planned that way, which is weird. I don't believe you. So when that movie Grindhouse came out, in case anyone doesn't know, is literally like a 90 minute movie of Robert Rodriguez. Then there's these five fake trailers that play in the middle of it. And then another hour and a half movie by Quentin Tarantino. So it's a three plus hour film, like in honor of Grindhouse, like the B movie kind of blaxploitation, sexploitation stuff that we've been talking about here this year in 1971. Me and my friend went to see that movie and I think we were two of... 12 people that were in the theater opening weekend that movie bombed it did not do very well at the at the box office but i'm one of the few people who went and saw it question is did you like it i do actually i actually do like that quite a bit because he's fun in everything right kurt russell's amazing i don't want to talk about his politics because that makes me get angry but is that a thing as an actor he's santa claus so i just assumed he's a nice guy kurt russell (laughs) is quite possibly in like my top five favorite actors of all time. I think he's so good at so what charismatic. he does. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't help but like him. You do watch like Escape from New York or Big Trouble in Little China, which in a different person's hands, I feel would be like, ooh, this is not Scene good. Movie, it's like, yeah. he carries it off. Yeah. It's like, whatever. You yeah. can't do this. Big Trouble is classic. Go watch it, young people. So Tarantino's film in there is called, oh my no, God, de- what is it proof? called? Death, Death Proof. Proof. Thank yeah. you. It's called Death Proof. Why do I know more about this than you do? You're the one introing <laughs> it. it. It's me blanking sometimes. Stars Kurt Russell and, and four women as an inspiration. Yeah. Nice, good guy. Maybe she is actually. Or is she? In, are they all? Are the four women in both? Are they in Planet Terror as well? Rose McGowan? And no, the, they make cameos. So there's okay. four. So yeah, I think Rosario Dawson is in both, but only a main character in one. Okay. Anyways, I like her. She should have had a bigger career. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched that front to back. The Death Proof I really did enjoy. I'm kind of an outlier because a lot of people think it's the worst one that Tarantino made. And I disagree because I've also watched Django Unchained, which I think is bad. But regardless. It had moments. Yeah. In interviews, I remember him saying like Vanishing Point is my inspiration for this movie. Vanishing Point is like the movie that I really took the hugest um, uh, uh, inspiration <laughs> and like and built off of that skeleton sure so now that we've seen the movie already dave i was under the impression that much like death proof vanishing point was a movie with like a serial killer who drove a car really fast mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of what i thought it was because that's basically what death proof is right turns out it's only a certain scene that is really the inspiration there's a chase scene that happens in death proof that is basically a carbon copy of what happens in vanishing point but that's really the only knowledge i have of this is the name it came out in the 70s. There's the inspiration for Death Proof. And that's about as much as I know. I'm going to go on record too is uh, I didn't like From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. like From Dust Till Dawn. Rodriguez is harder to get into though. He He's a very Just different Just Desperado, style. I think. That's Robert Rodriguez, mm. right? I actually yep. didn't mind the uh, third one, but I bet it doesn't hold up. The one with Johnny Depp? Probably not. Who cares? Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go watch a movie about a car. To hit the open road. We've been cramped up so long. I'll here, watch Dave. Duel, which is... 
Less open road and That's more right. uh, stress, which is how it feels like to drive in Toronto, which is probably why I like that movie so much. So. Also, the truck's ass in Duel is very fine. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going I'm to see how this uh, kind of matches up to the, uh, to the other car movie that we've seen this year. So let's see that. Let's go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about the movie Vanishing Point. I have a need, Dave, a need for speed. I want to no, see. sorry, EA is going to uh, oh, sue us. Right, yeah. So you have a need for high-velocity high velocity yeah. vehicles. Yeah. I would like to drift around the sun just once, though. That would be pretty fun. No, I'm pretty sure Fast and Furious has that one, too. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Gonna, you know, Fast and Furious 12 <laughs> will probably have someone drift around the sun. We got pretty close with 9. That was an awful movie. <laughs> awful. I kind of liked it. But, no, yeah, oh, sure. Brother. Conde versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Uh, this week, uh, give it we to have, me, lay it on me, Daddy-O. This isn't a West Side Story. Mm. So this is Pod Power, and with Pod Power, this is Pod Power. What is that? This like this is CNN. Yeah, well, with Pod Power, of course, it. use our, it, use it, and just get my James Earl Jones voice going on. If here. I had it, I'd use it. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to What's the Cheese Miss? A new podcast with an inside look at the Philippine X identity in the diaspora. Ooh. Say that five times fast, Dave. That's a good word. It's a good word. I, it's like foggy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cheese Miss. Cheesemis is the Tagalog word for gossip. Am I saying that right? Tagalog? Yeah. Tagalog? Yeah. Tagalog. They use the inflection, but yeah. I don't want to guess. It's a Tagalog word for gossip. Because uh, I keep wrong. My brother's wife is Filipino. Yeah, is but she, I don't speak it. Is she mad at me or is that what, is that what you're saying? She would if she listened to us, which nobody does. So we'll be fine. Subscribe to hear weekly episodes about disappointing your parents or just disappointing your listeners, as the case may be. Asia. <sighs> Breaking it to your friends that you're not Italian, trying to figure out why you punched a car, and much, much more. Mm, mm. I could be Filipino. (laughs) (laughs) You punched my car today. (laughs) What's the Cheese Miss is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts and on whatsthecheesemiss.transistor.fm. Of course, Cheese Miss is spelled T-S-I-S-M-I-S. Good job. Yeah, nice work. Uh, I get to... Remind us all about Rumi. We talk about Rumi a lot. Quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Not that we recorded all of our ad spots this month at the same time. No. But almost like you just talked about them mere moments ago. Right. Who would do these all at once? Mm -hmm. Madness. Sometimes in the winter, you get a sense that there might be cold drafts. And even more eerily, your lights may flicker. Mm Mm-hmm. Do they, do they flicker at your house? I've never had that happen, no. Yeah, it's pretty scary. There might be leaks coming from somewhere. And if you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. Connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get your questions answered. Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY or elbow grease. Yep. Is that the wrong era too? That's not. <laughs> That's actually a trademark now of probably Disney. Shit. Damn it. <laughs> Sue it again. Or when you might need to call in some professional help. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. Yeah, it is like uh, in 2024, Pixar is making a movie called Elbow Grease, and it's all about what if elbow grease had feelings? 
For a second, I thought you were being serious. <laughs> and then, you know, another and second, the, I started thinking they are going to make that. Probably. <laughs> the album Goose is actually being voiced by Chris Pratt. So, Ooh, that's topical, too topical reference. Too top. At the time of recording and probably not topical at all anymore <laughs> when this goes live. Eee. Oh, content. All right. Well, Dave, we're back, we're back. after a tense hundred minutes of driving felt action it felt longer um once again <laughs> this is like the recurring theme in 1971 if you're just tuning in i'm pretty sure that you probably dislike this very intensely and i'm gonna have to defend it so mm -hmm. tell me what you hated about vanishing point <laughs> well okay i didn't i didn't hate it i think the okay. first hour is a bit of a grind the next 30 minutes is fine and the ending is stupid i was joking in my mind i'm gonna write this in the uh, write-up this is basically Billy Jack in a car. They're trying so yes, hard. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying so hard to address every civil rights issue poorly and just throw like fucking shoehorning stuff into what is actually a really stupid and boring premise, which is some guy in super tight pants and a perm decides he <laughs> needs to drive a Charger or a Challenger, I can't remember which car, across the United States to meet a deadline while hopped up on speed stupid and uh you know the flashbacks are dumb like how many jobs does this guy have kyle uh, is he 60 it's he's lived this life he's a stunt car driver motorcycle racist cop or a racist racer yeah. cop he's he's got all these life experiences it's frustrating and much. soldier he was a, oh, a soldier right. as yeah. well as yeah i you know it just struck me is uh, i bet shinchiro watanabe watched this movie to make cowboy bebop too well could have yeah. this this movie as we'll discover is actually pretty influential to a lot of modern yeah. filmmakers. Like a lot of people drew inspiration from this. And I actually do understand why. Sure. What you call stupid will will save the ending because I might actually agree with you there. But for like the other stuff that you called stupid as far as like the flashbacks and the things, for me, honestly, they kind of work for me because they kind of create these nice little like breaks in the act well action uh, i'm using quotes there uh, of him like just barreling down the road trying to meet this deadline you're right it is like a silly kind of dumb concept he's self-imposed that he needs to get to a certain destination by a specific time and therefore is going so fast pushing cops off the road running jerks off the road and just not stopping and i kind of love those types of movies where it's like this premise kind of doesn't make sense but you're committing to it so i'm kind of on board i don't think that every i guess adventure that he goes on works i think the best stuff is him like talking to people like driving side by side like him running off the cops i thought those action sequences are actually pretty well done mm -hmm. actually most of the action sequences i thought were pretty well done because sure. like oh those are actual stunt car drivers actually doing that stuff yeah, that's, that's pretty cool in the middle half it picks up quite a bit yeah. it's somewhat watchable yeah him getting stranded in the desert mm -hmm. i actually kind of like of him meeting the old prospector that's what his character's name is is the prospector but nearing the end i don't mind them having this other character is not soul man S what is his name super soul soul super soul super, super soul. soul played by cleavon little who's um this blind radio d DJ, who's kind of like uh, on the radio leading our driver Talking around cops and barricades sure. and yeah. like kind of helping him up. I don't mind him, that character being there, but I also think they flashed that a little bit too many times. I also have a big problem with the two gay characters that show up mm -hmm. for pretty much no reason. When they appear, I'm like, oh, maybe this is about representation. And then it just turns into a fucking mess. Yeah, mockery like, a little yeah. bit, which... <laughs> rubs me the wrong way yeah. it's it's actually very similar to the two 
they didn't call them gay, Killers. but they're coded as gay yeah. in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. That's who they really reminded me of. I'm like, what? What? What is happening? <laughs> what is? What is going on? I'm cool with them having gay characters in this, of course. It's just like, well, then do something with them mm-hmm. instead of them mm-hmm. just being there, stick them up, and then kicking them out of the car. I, I wanted later to be something more to that. And then I, I kind of agree. Like I've now read all these different interpretations of what the ending means or what it symbolizes. And I was like, I guess I think you could have made it maybe a bit more clear mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's what you're kind of going for rather than it just being like, okay, we're, we're getting to the end and, and spoiler alert, I guess, but like bam kills himself in the end of movie. It's like, well, okay. I don't know if that's a, a great wrap up to this. I would, I would, I would totally go beyond board with that if it felt like he was suicidal the entire time. And I yeah. guess I never picked up on that feeling that he yeah. was like, I'm just getting there no matter what. And I mean, I'm going to kill myself if it, if it comes to that. I guess they're, tr- I, I think they're trying to do that because he is fairly miserable through this journey. He's not like, mm-hmm. he's not doing it in the youthful, like a need for speed video game way where you're just like, you know, it's a race. Right. That's maybe the difference between this and let's say the Fast and Furious series where these young mm-hmm. kids who are living the same, you know, ride or die lifestyle enjoy it. And he, so he's not enjoying it. He's doing it out of some obscure compulsion. By the end of the movie, I was thinking, is this, and this is probably what it is. It's supposed to be some kind of visual metaphor of the sort of cynicism of the youth movement by 1971, right? Like he's uh, influenced by civic uh, civil rights by the black DJ. He's, you know, coming across all these different things with sexual liberation, with drugs. Uh, but in the end, it wasn't enough and he ends up barreling into a blockade uh, because the cops, mm-hmm. the man, the structure is still imposing. And then I thought, who cares? Why would I even think about that? Because this movie is not worth <laughs> that much energy. I don't know. Like, this, this is the difference between you and I because I like delving into those types of readings in the movies. This, this is how I am reading it. Yes, he is doing something very dangerous. You know, driving at high speeds, going through three different states, not abiding by the law. But there is also, and this isn't subtle, but he does not want to go to sleep. Like he's yeah. taking speed, he doesn't rest, he doesn't want to go, like actually go to sleep. Occasionally, he'll have those like kind of flashes, those dreams of going back to showing him being um, the soldier, the cop, the stunt driver. And I think that this is just this compounding of trauma that he's had in his life. He's disillusioned by his government sending him off to a war that he doesn't believe in. He's disillusioned by the justice system because of the old guy in the back trying to get with a teenage girl that he finally stops and he's traumatized by being in car wrecks by being a stunt man and or not stunt driver but a he, he rally driver with the beautiful woman who apparently died mm-hmm. eh. but 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 all that stuff i think works for me is so it, i just found it super compelling like i know that basically like a good 85 to 90 percent of this movie is you're really just watching a guy drive like mm-hmm. you're just watching a guy drive a car and i totally get if that is like nope checking out don't enjoy this i was kind of gripped this entire time i I think part of it, and maybe this is just, again, me being old man and getting increasingly frustrated with modern film, is that, oh, those are actual cars being driven. Those are actual stunts that are actually being performed in this movie. It's not red notice. It's not red notice. It's not all filmed against a green screen. Not that that's necessarily intrinsically bad, but there's just something to it. It was intrinsically bad. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's a difference, and I brought this up before. I think this is in part why i love the mission impossible film mm. so much with the uh, tom cruise trying to kill which is himself like every 
every movie. Yeah, love yeah. love or hate those movies at the bare minimum. As far as like big budget action films, that's Tom Cruise actually jumping from roof to roof. That's yeah. actually Tom Cruise doing that kind of stuff. So I just find that innately interesting to watch rather than be like, well, I know how they fake this and it's like maybe a cool action sequence, but there's still that thing that's taking me out of the action. So partly why I like Jackie Chan movies, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he actually smacked his head against the wall there. Like well, that's, that's him doing that thing. That's why he, that's how he transcended that sort of 70s, 80s uh, Kung Fu movie trope because mm-hmm. you had to keep watching the next film, whatever it was, because you knew he was going to break his face on something. And so there's a clown <laughs> aspect too, where you're like, I, yeah, even yeah. if I hate the movie, I just need to see what kind of crazy shit he's going to do. Tom Cruise does that well. You know, to some extent, that's why I think I like the Daniel Craig Bond movies too. I mean, I, I can't, yeah. you know, I don't think he's always jumping a motorcycle into the, uh, place in turkey <laughs> through a window but i also you see that he's driving on the roof you know whatever safeguards they have so you don't get pulled away um so yeah a movie like this i mean i don't think barry newman is driving the car yeah when they're running through the no not the during the stunt scenes but no. the, it's shot well enough that you can believe it, it there's a lot of said we've seen like some of these movies where it just looks so stupid sometimes. Oh, well, I mean, again, using the Bond example, the Bond that we watched this year, Diamonds Are Forever, and the car going up on its two wheels yeah. through through the alleyway, right? Which you, you like. I guess it, uh. it depends on what kind of Bond you like. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends on what kind of Bond you like. But that is fundamentally a different experience than being like, oh, wow, that was a pretty close call. Mm-hmm. And like, those are three cars actually going at each other. And, and again, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this. I just think film very well going down the highways and... There's a few different times like, holy shit, like that was, that could have ended way bad, uh, way worse. Even if like a fraction of a second had been different there. They totaled some of those cars for real. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there, some, I mean, there's some just really great stunt work that's going on in this movie. Partly because it's the same guy who did this in The French Connection, by the way. Yeah. If Gene Hackman was in this movie, it would have been way better. Yeah, that, I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Just in the sense that the wide shots for the car doing the stunts feel real. The only mm-hmm. nitpick I have for that is, I mean, how many U-turns can you take and still go in a straight line? I mean, there are a lot of weird <laughs> right, 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 right. moments where he's like pushed off the track and he's still on the road driving through the Nevada desert. I know that part's more fantasy than supposed to be something that's literally possible. But, yeah. you know, there's like little moments where you're like, oh, okay, like that looked really cool, but... You know, he just took like two lefts and he's still driving on the right highway. And But that being said, it is. Yeah. And that's why once that heated up, this movie is definitely watchable. It's not the worst mm-hmm. movie. This is not, uh, what's that piece of shit we watched last week? Oh, no, not Mon Uncle, the other one. This is not a Pretty Maids All in a Row or a Million Dollar right, Duck. Right. I can see why this would have a cult status, uh, but... It's still uneven. Yeah, but I think it. I think it does hold up. This is definitely a B movie. Like yes. I don't think it escapes that moniker, and I don't use that as a pejorative. Like I love a lot of I movies do. that are classified I'm as B movies that. too. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it does its thing, and I, in in my opinion, does it very well. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about some of that counterculture stuff that we see <laughs> in this movie because I think you're right. I think it is trying to do maybe a bit too many things. Oh, yeah. At the same time, I was going to bring up Billy Jack too. There's actually quite a few movies that this kind of reminded me of. It's interesting that we're getting to like the end of our 1971 season and watching this movie now because there's like a lot of callbacks Mm -hmm. that I feel that there are. Billy Jack was a big one where I felt like, yeah, this feels like it's Billy Jack and I'm watching it. I think better budget and better acting and better a bunch of stuff, but it's still kind of that same shell of like, Lone man going on a journey, righteous, encountering all these like yeah. social strife and maybe commenting on it Always a little bit, but right not really. Thing. Yeah, 
but losing in the end, you know, Billy Jack. But lo- and yeah, and yeah. losing in the end. Yeah. We all know that Billy Jack did explode at the end of Billy Jack. So, <laughs> oh, I didn't watch the third one, but maybe he does. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he does. Maybe he goes to Congress and explodes. <laughs> Duel is the other one that, of course, reminds of me course. of too, because of the car driving and stuff that's going on in it. That's the interesting one because I think obviously Duel is much more focused on plot, like going from A to B. And trying to be interesting that way, where this movie, I think, is much more focused on, like, vibe and, like, what does it make you feel and that sort of stuff. And and the plot really doesn't matter all that much. It's just an excuse to hang Mm -hmm. on uh, so we can see this, like, action film going on. But you basically take all the stuff that's going on in, like, the late 60s and early 70s, and you can really feel, like, this is another one of those examples of, like, really struggling with that and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out, trying yeah, trying to figure out what to do with all that information. I mean, you know what? That's a great way to put it. I think that is the um, subtitle for the documentary film about mm-hmm. all the films in 1971, which is that no one knew what to do. It was kind of coming to the end of the so-called hippie era and the disillusionment of them losing so much of their idealism is reflected a lot in all of these movies because none of them have happy endings. <laughs> Like any, no. at least the ones that are trying to address social themes, they all are so cynical. Even uh, what's that stupid movie that you like? They didn't like uh, scare Jessica to death. You know, there's right. this idea that uh, we've seen where free love takes us, and uh, we see it in this film too. Like you get cults, you get murders, you get uh, death, and the man is still winning. We have a black DJ who seems to have carved out a niche for himself and is popular, but then he gets his shit kicked out of him, even though he's blind. And you know, it's everybody's trying to say too much because everybody's feeling so much in this era mm-hmm. and uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just it's just too bad because i think that you know it's not like there were bad filmmakers that are involved in a lot of these it's just it feels a little too much maybe we're just getting dumber and we can't handle so many social issues in a single uh, uh, well, film that's definitely true for you dave <laughs> I, I, I will agree with that but the the filmmaking of the 70s the films of the 70s which i think are still looked back upon but at least people in the industry and cinephiles as being like one of the best decades of film start to finish. I think that is partly why I think it's you're seeing so many examples of filmmakers just grappling with that stuff. And they don't have to worry about like, well, how is it going to set up the sequel? And like, how yeah. do I put in like... What uh, if we don't make any money into yeah. this and yeah. like how, how how is China going to receive this film? It's like they didn't care. It was just like, this is what I'm uh, grappling with. This is what I'm mad about. Let's try and make a film at, uh, out of it. The only downside, I think, for some of the films that we've watched is that a little bit more focus mm-hmm. would have gone a long way. Whereas, like, yeah, I totally understand why these are influential and spark a bunch of other people to do copycat things. But as a film looking 50 years into the past, like, not every one of these holds up. No. <laughs> or it's like, yeah, maybe if there was a stronger narrative, there would have been, maybe this would actually be a little bit better or who knows maybe people were just they didn't they were rejecting narratives completely and just wanted the vibing to happen you brought up easy rider i want to bring that back up again here because much like you that is also the film that this reminded me of quite a bit yes i don't like easy rider mostly because it seems like it's such a love letter to like the hippie movement and the counterculture and i know this is my own baggage this is my bias that i have about easy rider because I know where that hippie movement eventually goes to and Mm. how so many of those people I feel, again, this is Kyle Marshall's opinion, have caused a lot of the issues that we are experiencing nowadays. I kind of hate movies that are all like, hippies were the best. Their worldview is like the best worldview. So anytime I see that, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. 
I reject this premise. So that's in part why I don't like Easy Rider. It's also not a good movie. So yeah, there's also that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, this is probably not true. I was going to say, I don't mind staying inside the perspective of the film, which is actually absolutely not true. But yeah, I would agree in the sense that when you watch a movie that we would term naive or that gets stuck in its era, it dates it, right? And mm -hmm. when we have brought up so many times this uh, abstract question of what makes a movie classic and timeless, I suspect that's one of the things which is uh, whoever writes it or directs it, or at least is in part forming the film, has an open enough mind to not try to tell the audience that they figured it out. And I think this is true for literature and any art form. Whenever there's a closed conversation, it dates it because it, it stops the conversation there. And maybe this is why some of the films in 19 71 like all of we've talked a lot because every episode we talk about cultural significance it's amazing sort of you know how universal suffering is and that none of these things ever actually get fully addressed because you lose the idea of what it means to be human if we actually fix all these problems yada 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 but i'm trying to think of a movie we liked <laughs> like clute french connection these are yep. not movies where they're like oh we solved it you know all we have to do right. from now on is have a commune it's why the current communist, uh, you know, rhetoric that I see online is also upsetting to me for the same reason I think that it picks at you when you watch something like Easy Rider. It's idealism and we already know it doesn't work. This is MAGA. Like, why are we pretending that 30 years ago was better? It wasn't. There's a reason why we're here now. What we need right. to do is continue to evolve. Billy Jack and this film, I think what make it more watchable, ironically, even though they're not good movies, is that they actually have an open-ended question in them. I think more arguments should be solved with roundhouse kicks. These are people yeah. that are youthful and kind of thinking, oh, I, I don't know what happened, man. You know, we thought this would work and now I have to kill myself on a bulldozer because uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, I got nothing left. I, I guess that's maybe also why I was enjoying this movie so much is that for our main character who is pretty much just a cipher for the audience. Like there's not much to his character no. in itself. We only get like little drips and drabs or drips and drabs here and there. But like when he does meet that commune out in the middle of the desert, right. it it's is kind of showing to be like, oh, these are literally snake oil salesmen yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that are at the front of this. And it's a cult and it's, yeah. It's a comment on the communes, right? Yeah. It's a comment yeah. on that, how the police are corrupt, how they're... Uh, pitting white against black like it's all there inside the text here and those are i think where it is the strongest is what it's trying to comment and then again kind of loses its way at the very end in my opinion but boy that ride is fun though i like i like being on the ride <laughs> Uh, the other, the last thing before we do our backstory that I just thought was interesting, I really, really appreciated the direction in this movie. I thought there were some really great shots in this. Talking about those bulldozers, for instance, at the very beginning, I loved how you see them both come in from opposite sides of the frame. They lower down their buckets yep. and frame right in the middle is the police officer, right? Yeah. And there's some other shots just like that. They're just interesting. But he does so much with just a, a pan where he like goes from left to mm. right slowly. Dirty hair and like, is good it tells time, you everything yeah. that you yeah. need to know. Yeah. This is also why I was so impressed by some of the stunts. It's like, boy, they they really had to time this out perfectly. I'm sure they were on like radios or something, but there's this one scene where a, an actual train goes across the tracks and then the car is not not breaking speed and this comes right yeah. right after it. Or like they're panning right to left and as soon as it hits left, that's when the car comes from down the down the highway to to pass by the camera so it's like those things need to be timed pretty expertly to make sure that those shots actually get carried off so it, it, it's kind of like the actual process of the filmmaking it was impressive to me well it's interesting you brought up 
but it's the same stunt coordinator for French Connection. I mean, if you look at a classic film, the idea of timing a stunt is, I mean, that's from the silent film era. I mean, it's the idea of making mm-hmm. a magic trick happen in film. You have to stand here for yeah. this to, to work. Yeah. But this is a movie, I'll agree with you, uh, and now you brought up, I, I, I do see the parallels, although the camera work is different, of course, but they had start to figure out how to make, let's say in this case, a car chase scene uh, immersive so that you're somehow brought into how tense and energetic that scene is instead of having the sort of a still single shot where everything moves kind of like a puzzle, like mm-hmm. Tetris. And then at the end, you're like, Da-da, we finished. This thing has that volatile <laughs> feeling where you're like, oh shit, they might yeah. not make it. And, uh, you know, oh my God, they almost crashed to that pillar or whatever that... Yep. Uh, subconscious fear. Yeah, I, we're seeing that actually generally in the 70s films. I'm sure if we had a broader scope and saw everything leading into this in the late 60s and coming after, this is just the new age yeah. where they want to throw you into it. In another way, in a different type of podcast, not that I would have wanted to have done it this way, but it would be kind of interesting to have started in say like 1961 or something like that. And like every year go sequentially and you'd really probably start to see the themes that are yeah. like changing forms that are changing that sort of thing i'm a historian about that the blocking and stuff like that i don't know if you agree with this like i do want to talk about like the naked woman who comes on the motorcycle right. <laughs> at the end so weird but kind of weird but like it, it makes sense flower child is kind of on this little weird commune with the with the biker dude i actually thought what was interesting about those shots of course we are seeing her topless i'm not saying we're not but i thought it was interesting the restraint to not show her as topless as they could have because a lot of the shots uh, are like yeah from the neck up yeah, yeah. or she's obscured behind something yeah. it's not like full breasts out the entire time as they're having that conversation which yeah. i know is a low bar but it's like at least it's not so aggressively i don't know pornographic salacious if i was the director all you'd see was breasts yeah i, I think i felt the same thing that it's gratuitous in that maybe it's of the time but you know you, you have to immediately ask like why is she completely naked riding a motorcycle is that even comfortable it looks really hot out and then uh, I, I actually watched a video with the actress and no it was not yeah <laughs> it was very uncomfortable yeah she said. i uh, i suspect so <laughs> but like you said you, you have a lot less of the male gaze other than the fact that the whole thing is centered around this dude when all these women are ready to to get with mm-hmm. him but he's at least detached enough and so the film is detached enough that he's not sitting there like drooling like the uh Right, 50s right. cartoon wolf and <laughs> i so, to say tongue walls out yeah, yeah i noticed that in pre- at least in that scene i think there was another two where it was uh yeah they use blocking some obscure to make sure that you're not just staring at a woman's nipples even in the so the near rape scene you know it's not so violent and protracted that you get kind of offended by it you mm-hmm. you just see that there's something really wrong and then we get to see our protagonist make the so-called right decision i actually got confused when he met the naked girl i mean why does she have a clipboard with his life on it which was so out of left field and i was like is this a woman that he saved from that that scene mm. and then it only after i looked at the list because everybody in the 70s looks the same kyle I, I don't know. Like, what what was the uh, you British... You heard your f- first, folks. Every white person looks the same to David Young. The what was with the British woman hitchhiking and then disappearing like a ghost? I don't know, Kyle. There's a lot of stuff in here yeah. that straddles the line. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, I, I kind of agree. Like, because of the tone of this movie, I guess I give it a lot of leeway. Where it's like, I don't need every single thing explained to me. No. Like, he is... Sure. High on speed. And I don't want to just be like, it's all a dream. But at the same time, it's like, this is almost like a waking dream we're going through anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of like a fear and loathing type of thing without all the, like the surreal images. So yeah. 
Yeah. Another good road movie, by the way. I love um, that movie too. Speed instead of acid, so we could actually watch it. You know about drugs, Dave. Um, <laughs> speed is fun, yeah. <laughs> what is the difference between speed and the other thing that he takes? There's speed and something else. He takes other, something other than speed. Poppers or poppers or something like that. I don't know what the difference between those sure things are. I'm pretty sure it's just speed and smoking that joint. It's funny that- What is speed? So speed is uh, sort of like a pure amphetamine without um, either MDMA or sort of feel-good substances. So basically when you take speed, uh, I don't know what the chemical in your brain is, but it just makes you, it's like hyper-caffeine without the burnout. So however long that pill lasts, you just can't stop moving. And uh, it heightens your awareness of stuff around you, presumably. That's how it feels like. I mean, I don't know if it actually does that you, you know me dave i'm i'm super straight edge so i just don't know anything <laughs> about drugs so it, it is i mean i i uh i think i understand having done it uh why it can be addictive and why it's so prevalent in truck driving and uh, long haul culture it's you know when you take other let's say party drugs because they have an emotional and uh, hallucinatory side effect you can't do anything other than either dance too much or feel too good but speed is like uh <laughs> And people use it to study because it's just literally just yeah. a heightened, a heightener. This is partly why I've been so afraid to take any drugs in my life. It is true. Like I drink alcohol, of course, but I don't have never taken any hard drugs in my entire life. Even like weed, I stay, stayed away from because the first person to like introduce it to me was like, well, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to mill you out or going to make you more anxious. I'm yeah. like, I'm already too anxious. So that would be bad if I got more anxious than what I already am. So It's like any drug. I mean, alcohol does yeah. the same thing. Caffeine does the same thing. You know, some people take caffeine mm -hmm. and they shit themselves. Some people ca take caffeine and they get really angry and in a box. And some people take caffeine and they're like, I can do more work for the next three hours. I don't know. Biology is weird. And we understand so, so little. So you're saying to take drugs, Dave, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is uh, some of it works for some people. It's why they still exist. And a lot of people can't mm -hmm. handle it and they do it for addictive reasons, like uh, behaviorally. So I, I can't comment on that as a whole. I, I do support- Both our sponsors in the Alberta Podcast Network are loving this conversation, <laughs> by the well, way. Well, <laughs> you know, the legalization movement, uh, public housing, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a solid sociological core in that research. That being said, I've seen the other side and when people fall off that or, or they have a certain behavioral disposition to approach substances for quote unquote the wrong reason, you know, it's, it's pretty frightening. But you can say that about anything, man. Because some people are quote workaholics, right? And they, they ignore their families, right? For their entire life. That's not any different. So, yeah. I don't know. We're trying weird I like to get stuff. high on life. That's... <laughs> That's my drug, Dave. I'm actually actually so liberal that I think we should legalize all drugs yeah. and just be done with it. And like, whatever, here, here's your government uh, sponsored speed that you can take if you want This it. is the idealism thing, but my friend, uh, I mean, they tried this in a small town in Ontario, but my friend is Dutch and he said they did this in mm -hmm. Amsterdam. There's a, a big bicycle, pedestrian, I think even car intersection. And they decided to do that social experiment where they just take away all signals and let the scrum happen. And he said over time it reduced accidents and people became more aware of their surroundings. And uh, it has created uh, a better flow of traffic. You know, we get, we've talked a lot about fascism, but more, I suppose, in an authoritative sense. We have a belief social, uh, socially that we need more rules to curb uh, bad behavior. But uh, I don't know. It's it's scary to think that if we just let people do whatever they want, that self-preservation will be a better way to manage life. I don't think that's true either, but I don't know. Free use. 
no controlled intersections. They're starting to show results. Maybe that's the way of the future. We'll see. I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, if I live that long, we'll see. You won't. Let's do some backstory here. So Vanishing Point was released on March 13th, 1971. It is currently rated 7.2 on IMDb. It has a 61 on Metacritic. And on Rotten Tomatoes, from 19 critics, it has a 79%. From 10,000 plus users, it's at 81%. And it's not available to stream anywhere, 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 anywhere. It's a good thing we had this uh, physical copy. Physical Blu-ray that on they're the sending It is actually available on both DVD and Blu-ray. You can buy a physical copy copy my guess i have no idea if this is true this is my own feelings i think this might not be available to stream because of the music rights that's usually oh, what yeah. happens in these yeah. sorts of cases there's a lot of music in this movie yeah. that gets tricky when you try and release them you know me dave i love all tv from the 70s the decade before i was even born are you familiar with wkrp in yeah. cincinnati yeah that was a good show that is why it cannot be streamed or released on box set because it would be too expensive to get the music rights for all of the music that's on that show i saw a meme or a cartoon that's uh that showed basically uh renaissance musicians and they're like oh you know here's my piece it's like oh great let me yeah. uh, make a piece to go with it and then modern day where everybody's suing each other because nobody wants mm -hmm. to share anything and it is Correct. fascinating uh like this is why much classic hip-hop has died because you're no longer mm -hmm. allowed to sample anything unless the recording companies take 90 percent of your share and uh <laughs> right yeah yeah you know, it's a fucking joke. Art is supposed to be, what's the right word? Remixed, reinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. like uh, on top of each other, cumulative or I don't know. And it's not anymore. Everybody's needs their piece. So we get uh, Disney making their own movies seven times a fucking year. But probably for right. this reason. People pay for them though. People pay for them. Well, we have no other choice. Depressing. By the way, because this is a Fox film, it could be released on Disney. I'm sure they could afford to pay the rights. Yeah. They just choose not to. Until, what's the music thing? A hundred years? Yeah. But why do that when you can remake it again, Dave? Starring <laughs> The Rock. <laughs> the Rock singing his own new single. <laughs> Vanishing right. point. Right. Vanishing point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, get on that. I'm sure you can write something in about a day. That probably um, sound exactly what I just sang. I hate her. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be better rhyming. That's for sure, true. But its budget was one and a half million dollars to make this movie. It would go on to make $12.4 million at the box office in 1971, which is about $84 million adjusted for inflation. Uh, so a good hit. Yeah, it made money. Its plot description is during the 1970s, Car delivery driver Kowalski delivers hot rods in record time, but always runs into trouble with the highway cops. It stars Barry Newman as Kowalski, Cleavon Little as Super Soul, and Dean Jagger as Prospector. Uh, anything you want to say about these actors? It's not a lot. Barry Newman was more of a TV actor, apparently, mm -hmm. but I don't really know. He was actually in a film we talked about this year, Dave, in our bonus episode on Bowfinger. Oh, that's was, right. Uh, I saw that. I was like, I don't... Uh, Eddie Murphy's agent in that movie. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. The only thing about Cleveland Little, I mean, you, you're probably obsessed with him because he was uh, in Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. But his sister sang... Uh, the Rocky theme song. What? Yeah, yeah. I that's, didn't know that. That's, that's his cool. sister, which is, I think, really cool. Of course, he's also re related to Little Richard. Oh, is so. he? Yeah. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other thing is, uh, apparently, I mean, you probably know this, but apparently, uh, like he's, he's classically trained. He was apparently a Shakespearean sort of actor, but he couldn't get parts because he's black, of course. Of course. Um, so he became more of a comedic and, I mean, he, I think he's got a Tony. Like he, he was well-respected on the scene, but just couldn't land the leading man parts. 
The reason, do you know why he got Blazing Saddles? Because Richard Pryor dropped out. Well, they didn't want him. He wrote it. He wrote apparently some yeah. of the jokes for that movie. And then the producers allegedly said, well, we can't rely on this. He may not show up to set because he's, you know, an addict. Yeah. But we know this other hilarious black actor who's very reliable. And that's why they picked up <laughs> Cleveland Little. He was like the antithesis of Richard Pryor. Ever reliable yeah. Cleveland Little. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think I don't want that to come off as a slight, but that's apparently how professional he was in I the mean, industry. Yeah. So. When, when we say Richard Pryor was an addict, like he, he was an addict <laughs> back in the 70s. He was so much so that people at the time were like, dude, like settle down. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is when everybody was high on everything. Um, Dean Jagger, unfortunately, is not related to Mick. And uh, he has an mm. Oscar for a Western called uh, 12 O'Clock High. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. That's good yeah. to know. Uh, he's got this weird career where it's like, I think it took him a long time. It, the only thing that I thought was interesting was he broke out onto film just at the end of the silent film era. So he made one movie uh, that was a silent mm -hmm. movie and then he got typecast as just a silent film actor. And it took him like another three years for him to land a role because everybody was like, oh, he's good looking, he can do this, but I don't know if he can do talkies. And so like his film is like so 1925 funny. and then he wouldn't land a part till 1933. But then he would build a career around it in 1949 is when he got his Oscar. So he had a slow boiling career and then he ended up in this, I think he's prospector pretty sure. But right, right. I like people that are older when they kind of have their breakthrough, mm -hmm. like uh, Philip Baker Hall, which is like a character actor who shows up a bunch of stuff. But like, I think his first role came at like his late 40s, early 50s. Isn't yeah. he, like, first Ken Jeong, of um, course. Even, yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, no, I was going to say um, uh, Morgan Freeman was actually actually kind of old too when he first broke through. But uh, Who is it we talked about this year? There's been a couple of women that we talked about this year too that kind of... Actually, no, that's not true. I was thinking of uh, Harold and Maude, but I think she had a prominent career in the pre-sort pre, pre sort of yeah, color. She did, uh, yeah. She had, uh, yeah. yeah, her career is so fascinating. But Written by Guillermo Kane, story by Malcolm Hart, directed by Richard C. Serafian. Guillermo Kane is actually a pseudonym for Guillermo Cabrera Infante. His parents were founding members of the Cuban Communist Party, Dave. He's got a great so, biography. It's fascinating. Yeah, he's very fascinating. So, studies journalism at the University of Havana, and like many counterculture people at the time, was arrested. Uh, this by the Batista regime for publishing short stories that they did not agree with. He'd go on to write uh, film reviews, and after the Cuban Revolution in 1959, he became the director of the Instituto del Cine, while also being the head of the literary magazine Lunes de Revolución. He also, by the way, became Minister of Information under the Castro regime. Can I just make this quick comment for people yeah. who listen to this who want communism? It's just a different dictatorship. Right, we went from Batista well, to Castro. Well, down, Dave, All come right. on. But he, of course, falls further and further out of favor and eventually needs to escape Cuba, goes to Madrid, and then eventually ends up in London. He is of the same generation and was thought to be at the same level as other writers of what was called the Latin American boom. Includes people like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who wrote 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera, if you're a literature person but uh oh let me read this uh with the with the machine wrote here he's it says uh but much like a certain david yun he needs to be the counter opinion on everything and so rejected <laughs> even the term novel to describe his works he did not like it being called a novel Good. that he wrote what does that even what does that even mean Give me some etymology. <laughs> Explain it to me, Kyle. What is a novel? What does it even is a novel <laughs> when you really break it down? Uh, he preferred, of course, to be the iconoclast and do his own thing. Uh, how he got involved with this movie, I literally have no idea. The script was written 
just came across Richard Serafian's desk. It was written by Guillermo. We know that. Serafian reads it, knows he wants to make it, and so he takes it to Richard Zanuck of Fox. We've talked about Zanuck a little bit, actually, this season, because he was big at Fox at the time. Although he does greenlight it, he does ask Serafian one question, and he asks him, does he die at the end? Mm. And hilariously, Serafian answered him by saying, well, I'm Catholic, so I think he makes it. And Zanuck said, no, if you make this movie, he has to die at the end. Mm. So that is why he has to die. Um, it is based on two separate events, which are very disparate. So one was this story that was popular at the time in the newspapers about a disgraced San Diego police officer. The second was of this high speed pursuit of a man who refused to stop and was killed at a police roadblock. So, of course, Guillermo was also using his interest in the counterculture of the time to create a film that tapped into that feeling while also being a B-movie. Now, I told, I said that the video that I watched, there's this video on YouTube you can watch about the making of this movie. And so current cinematographer Janice Kaminsky, talking about this movie, he was inspired by this movie when he saw it as a young man. He said he felt what the theme of this movie was and why I think it inspired so many people is that it's asking the question, would you rather be free and die trying mm -hmm. rather than succumb to the authorities? Mm -hmm. And even the star, Barry Newman, in that same video says that in his opinion, Vanishing Point was the saying goodbye of the 60s, whereas like that counterculture movement was going away and they could tell it was going away. So this was kind of like that last goodbye to that feeling. You see how hard it is for me, Kyle, to be right about everything all the time? Man, such a burden. So so hard for you to be right about everything we talk about. This was the new cinema that was being established that would run through most of the 70s, a bubbling of tension and frustration that around the world people were eager to see. Um, it was producer Zanuck who recommended that it was the 1970 Dodge Challenger. Did you read why they chose the Dodge Challenger to be in this movie, Dave? Because of the name? I have no idea. No, it was because that they had a deal with Chrysler at the time. Yeah. Fox had a deal with Chrysler who would rent cars to them for a dollar per day. Oh, <laughs> so nice. it was super cheap for them to just get all the Chrysler yeah, cars that are in this movie, good apparently. I wish we still had that rate. I'd rent more cars. I know. It'd be great. <laughs> now, initially, the film was supposed to be a 60-day shoot. And then uh, right before they were to roll film, and partly this is because Fox was just not doing so well financially, Zanuck calls up Serafian and says, um, actually, you have 22. So do it in 22, about no a third of the time. Yeah. So that basically made them, okay, well, how are we going to make this work? And so uh, the cinematographer for this movie is a man by the name of John Alonzo. And he actually came up with some ingenious ways to make this go faster. He decided to use a lot of quote-unquote like handheld cameras not the way we think of handheld cameras but things that they could carry with them easier than like the huge cameras that most films are being shot on he also mounted the cameras to the cars rather than having it be a dolly or how a lot of car movies are made where it's actually a tow truck pulling the car right. and then they shoot from the truck back into the car it's like we don't have time to set that all up so just have them drive and we'll just mount this to the car so I don't know. I think that does give it a unique look to the 70s. That kind of gets done a lot too nowadays where they mount things to the cars. The other thing was that they shot in lower frame rates for the racing and driving scenes to make it look like the cars were going faster so than what they really up. were. Okay. The person that we've been mentioning about doing the stunts was a guy by the name of Kerry Lofton. He was a stuntman and coordinator, had already done the French Connection in Bullet, and so yes. was brought on here to put his expertise into place. And of course they... We were able to bring it together, made a decent amount of money, and is now considered a cult classic. So that is the making of Vanishing Point. Good. 
we've covered actually in past maybe we're just getting a little fatigued at this point in 1971 we're moving through <laughs> this really quickly we, we've kind of brushed through all of the same themes that have occurred all year right uh, mm. this uh, struggling with civil rights this attempt to uh, depict through a visual metaphor of how the writers are feeling it is interesting that it's written uh, by a once communist supporter who's dis, you know disenfranchised and is flipping mm -hmm. over, who's lived through the hippies movement, hippie movement, and you see all of that reflected in some of these side stories, right? It just strikes me now. I mean, this is why the driver uh, Kowalski is refusing sex so much. You know, it's it's pushing back against this idea that that's going to work, that we just need to be naked and rolling around in a desert. Well, the, the other thing too that we keep coming back to, and, and this is true for every year when you look at seventies film or eighties film. The things that are being marketed towards, like, the youth. Maybe not so much the actors that are acting uh, on screen, but, like, the writers, the producers, the directors are always a generation before right. the the generation that's being commented on. Right. So I always think that's an interesting prism to look at these through, which is, yeah, this taps into the counterculture, but these are not the people that were in, quote-unquote, the counterculture. Hold right? On. They're a generation before them. Yeah, I mean, uh... Because uh, Guillermo is in his 40s uh, when this, this is being is the made. Thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, no, I, I can't compare it to how it is today. I, so, for example, when we did 1999 or we watch a modern day film, you can tell that mm -hmm. the people that are scoring or building these are people that are my age or older because they're using music, for example, that I grew up with. And right. even films that are trying to incorporate modern pop songs, there are, you know, there, there's a nuance where it's not on the cutting edge. There's, there, people are always scared to put ultra modern music into stuff. You're not going to see, I, I may hate all this stuff, but mumble rap or Cardi B or all these new Megan Thee Stallion, because people today are still offended by where that's pushing. But the 70s, I feel like, and I could be wrong, we'd have to actually look through this, but I feel like a lot of the writers were actively participating in the culture of their time and it's not yeah. as much well, all this music in this guy yeah, is of the time yeah right? all the music in this movie and the the other movie i can't remember the other movie we were watching that i didn't like but they had uh, a lot of modern music underscoring it uh, even um throw away your books and all of these things mm -hmm. that are trying to i mean throw away your books is designed by an artist who is of the youth culture i suspect Godzilla and hetero is the same thing. And, you know, it, it's not as separate. I think we actually see, we would if, when we do our reflection, movies like Andromeda Strain or, I mean, these are clearly made by people who are older and a little yes. bit more detached from the immediacy of what's going on. And then we compare this movie to Duel and Billy Jack, which are designed and written by people who are still young. Sure, uh, Guillermo Cain is not young per se, but I mean, he helped found the communist regime. <laughs> In sure, Cuba. Sure, sure. So, I mean, this is not a guy who's been sitting in a library his whole life. So, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, this might be why the 71 palette has been so difficult to digest sometimes. You know, it's it's got yeah. a lot of energy to I it. I mean, I do always want to keep pushing back on this. Difficult for you. I think I've been able to engage with these on their level most of the time. Engage or While apologize? Sometimes. It's too different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the... <laughs> I think that that may be why this has such a different feel where it's like, yeah, reminiscent of, but not exactly like some of the other films that we've talked about because of this is being filtered through uh, someone who is not born in America, mm. where English is not their first language, was part of the Communist Party, but is also feeling that through an American road movie. Right. I just feel like that's a fascinating 
take on this and why I think it does feel a little bit different and maybe why it feels a little bit more free to criticize some of those American institutions. Not that that hasn't happened with American creators also, but yeah, it just feels like so baked into the DNA of this film. It'd be interesting to find like, let's say a different podcast uh, host that does more research on modern films, but don't you get a sense that like a lot of these writers start off in journalism and so we get mm-hmm. a much grittier sort of worldview because they've seen really brutal shit. De- like definitely in the 70s. I mean, if we go to a different decade, perish the thought, if we go to a different decade other than the 70s, is if are there as many journalists turned screenwriters right. in the 80s and 90s? Because in 99, there wasn't. Like I remember going through that kind of stuff um, and maybe one or two. But in this one, like a good half of the movies we've talked about, I'm pretty sure is like started off as a journalist, came over into screenwriting took their experience from there and and made it into something different. And definitely whether we liked or whether I liked the films or not, all of the films that are like this and give us challenging topics to talk about are written by journalists or people that have been uh, through some shit because whether they can express it in a digestible way or not, they are all trying to say, uh, like they're all supposed to be social commentary and uh, reflections. You know, even like Get Carter, you know, I'm pretty sure that too is penned by somebody that's you know, been around Mm. prostitution and sex rings and things like that. It's, it's fascinating. Well, I mean, I think I want to be very careful because I'm not, well, unless you've like lived on the streets and you can't make something worthwhile, like you can't write something that's good. But at the same time, I do think it's a very different experience than someone like I went to film school and I learned like the techniques of great screenwriting. And then I made a movie out of that. That's a very fundamental different experience than say like Ernest Tideman, who was uh, writing about the drug culture and trade in 1960s New York City and then can write Shaft in The French Connection, right? right? Like, there's a fundamental difference there. Like, I saw this. I know what these people sound like and do. And I'm going to write a film about it. Rather than, like, I have an idea and this is what a great three-point structure of a movie makes it. And Shaft, too. I mean, whether in the end, the end product works in a modern sense. I mean, that was directed by one of the great black photojournalists. (laughs) Of the right. 20th century, right? I mean, yeah, they're not film school people necessarily. And many of them do study it. But when you look at their backgrounds, they fought in wars. They've like worked in <laughs> right, these weird yeah. industries. They've done things that are far beyond what our generation is capable of because we don't have that uh, immediate connection. We need another draft is what we're trying to say here. Well, that will make great art. If we have another draft or like another uh, cultural trauma, uh, we will see people who live through that sh- stuff put out challenging movies. Mm-hmm. And I think before Marvel, we were seeing that from 9-11. I mean, every movie yeah. was about paranoia and uh, and terrorism. But like you've been bringing up a lot, I think the 80s and 90s and blockbusters and, you know, sort of this free market capitalist idea that you have to make money did mute a lot of those films so that we're not really insulting the mm-hmm. American psyche and asking whether it's our own fault. And then Marvel came and people just don't give a shit about it anymore because so we want to be titillated without any tits. Right, Kyle? Like you brought up, there's right. just no sex. Christianity, baby. <sighs> so some last notes that I wrote down. This is more like just like technical stuff. But uh, I love when jargon feels natural. So when he's talking to his dealer at the beginning before mm. he actually goes on his like drive, I can't even replicate what they actually say. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, it comes off. What's new daddy? Oh, he doesn't say that. But it's like that kind of stuff where we're going What's back happened? and forth. Like, oh, this feels this feels cool. And, and even Cleavon Lillo, when he's on the radio, like going full ham. It's just like, yeah, this feels like it's natural to these characters to be saying it. I texted you this. I'm glad that he runs that guy in the red helmet <laughs> off the road. What a fucking jerk. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm pretty sure that guy lives in Calgary. I hear them driving on McLeod every fucking night. You know, street racing culture is ubiquitous with cars. It's not like it only mm. happens in Nevada. It is an interesting just peek at the male ego, isn't it? And this idea mm-hmm. that like, I mean, you see that in Fast and Furious, right? Like there's always somebody who's like, oh, this bald, muscled guy doesn't know shit because I've got my neon lights under my car. Those neon lights are so cool. And it turns out you're racing, right? Uh, what's, this will Vin be a Diesel lookalike motherfucker. I can take him any day of the week. So I love, I love that idea about real tough guys don't have to pretend. And then all the fake right, guys always exactly. have to. It was also interesting because they're trying so hard for Kowalski to have a heart that he always stops, even though he's in a rush, to make sure nobody died. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of weird. But, different. Yeah. I mean, that's also the different thing. Like, this does feature one of his flashbacks is him when he's a cop sitting in the front seat. And I'm like an older cop that he's paired with is in the batch with this teenage girl, girl yeah. who's following her and trying to, like force himself on her and then he gets to a breaking point like no gets him off and she escapes i think this is such a fascinating scene to show his character like that's partly why it's there but this is another example of a film showing like a i'll say it pedophilic kind of like scenario going on was one of the few who's actually coming like hey this is actually bad maybe Mm -hmm. this shouldn't be happening Mm -hmm. it aligns with what you're brought up with the uh, blocking but with the way they shot a lot of the uh, nude women is that it is not Mm -hmm. in a way that's trying to make it perverted or pornographic there's something reserved about it whether that's good or not i don't know but uh yeah even Mm -hmm. that scene you know you don't get that heart attack cringe that we've experienced so many times this year (laughs) or you're just seeing like why yeah i I guess you want happening yeah you want me to think stuff but i i don't want to watch this anymore <laughs> like that started and i was like oh my god here we go again like it's gonna be another fucking 20 mm-hmm. minutes of this disgusting sweating old right. man ripping clothes <laughs> yeah, no, off I this know. young woman and you're like oh no it's over so you're like all right let's move on to the next point yeah. thanks kowalski <laughs> I forget which one it is, but I think they're going into Nevada, right? So the Colorado cops have to call because mm. they can't cross state lines. So they have to call them up and like, hey, by the way, there's this car that's driving and maybe stop them. The guy in Nevada, this is the exact, I had to rewind it because I thought it was so funny. What's this roadrunner done, fellers? <laughs> <laughs> that's what he asks. I thought it was so funny. Um, it's like, just great. It feels like so down home, like, oh, shucks, I'm a Barney Fife character. I love the light board. Like, you know, they also have yeah, this comment yeah, yeah. on the sort of like state call cultures and money and all this stuff so you go from Mm -hmm. smaller to bigger states and when they get to california they have this office full of women and you know like it's so developed and they got this giant board and the lights telling you where the car is because they've got all the little traps i thought it was kind of neat it's very uh and you see that echoed in uh, science fiction films a lot you know that that all the time yeah i should have made a screenshot of this but it's like such a great thing that again this is coming near the end but at the near the very beginning, you know, the car has hit the bulldozer, it's exploded, and they're all just sitting around. There's a shot of these two girls sitting in front of a gas pump that says lead in fuel. <laughs> that I think is so funny. It's like, yes, that is the subtext of everything we've been talking about in 1971. The lead is making everyone crazy. Oh, people, people are crazy. People are crazy. These are crazy movies. Maybe this is why we don't get it, because we haven't been huffing enough lead. Possibly. Maybe we just can't go back and really feel it. Yeah. Either we have to be in asbestos or in lead or something to make us go insane. Just, to, just I guess, this one last thing about the ending is there. I, I know you said it was stupid and you didn't like it, but do you want to just expand on why you think it is stupid? Well, I guess, I mean, when we talk about it abstractly and in terms of a metaphor, I suppose that, let's say, if 
we're sitting with Guillermo uh, writing this. I don't know if he wrote it for him to die because it sounds like the uh, production company had a lot of say in that. Yeah. But I can see how someone could look at this entire plot or summary and, and think of this as a metaphor and that it's poetic, even if it's cynical. But there's something about it for me that uh, it just felt too abrupt. And, you know, the movie starts off with him avoiding all of these roadblocks and ending up sort of having this uh, moment to himself in the desert before they cut back to the lead up sequence. Two days before, yeah. Um, so when he finally appears back in that town and then suddenly he has this weird uh, cynical smile on his face and he just drives into the bulldozers it's like i don't know i just felt like the whole way it was set up it felt like they were going to go that way and i just i just felt let down by it i don't know why i couldn't explain to you specifically what it was but i just felt no, like i, I, just I felt kind of gross. agree with you yeah. like i think that there needs to be something maybe just more and again maybe this like is being just so or... disconnected from the 70s that i just don't lock in with that feeling necessarily of uh, maybe, uh, maybe a more contemporary audience is like yeah he had to die because he's so disaffected that that's the only true way to like be released from the shackles or something like that but i don't know in the 2021 20, context i kind of just wanted him to like get through the barricade and deliver the car like i can't, i kind of just wanted that to be the resolution of everything it was like this amazing journey he's gone and he's evaded everything how is he gonna get out of this one and then no he just runs into them and blows up uh, maybe this is uh like you were talking about budget and time restriction but I do feel like if we're going to go this way, which I actually don't mind the concept of him running out of time, right. maybe even just have more cars so that he ends up in a dead end. He has avoided every single accident, barricade, and block. And this was just two fucking giant trucks on a road. I mean, it's easily avoidable. There's so much space everywhere. So the idea of him suddenly he deciding- got two wheels and right between the two bulldozers. Well, it would have been cool if they were like- more cop cars, let's say, lining the street, and he actually got into an alley yeah. where he couldn't do a quick U-turn or drift out of his mm -hmm. space. And then he smiles because he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to stop. And there's nowhere to turn. But that is not how that last scene visually works, even though it's implied that that's what's where he's heading. I think maybe that's what made me so disappointed is that we're watching him sort of sillily, what's the right word? Foolishly or cornily or cartoonily. Yeah. These are all wrong. These are not English words. Uh, of evade every like single thing. adjectives you're making though. <laughs> every single barricade that's been put up to him. He's, yeah, like you said, he's pushed cop cars yeah. off. He's made motorcycles drive off into the thing. He's done these weird drifting tricks as a race car driver to, to pull away from every obstacle. You know, especially like doing that like i think ingenious thing of pretending to be a cop car and getting right. past that one last cop eric i'm like oh that's really smart he's smart yeah again then just to like drive into the bulldozer like well okay i thing. guess anticlimactic and um yeah i think yeah it just needed if we were rewriting it do the exact same thing have the shot with him smiling but just make it very obvious that he's finally run out of places there's he no can turning turn. back there's no way yeah. he can get out of this like if they yeah. had set up not maybe more trucks, but maybe they put on some kind of wood barricades on that one strip of road and he finally ran out of space. I think that would have made this into like a firm visualization that he ran out of time. But in that case, it just looked like he, I don't know, he's just driving and all of a sudden, you know, an hour and a half later, he's like, you know, fuck it, I'm just gonna kill myself. You know, you're like, why? <laughs> you know, he's been saving all these people and like, you know, uh, we're connecting with this new movement and he's hopped up on speed and he's got to deliver this car and all well, of a sudden he's yeah. like, you know what? I was wrong. I'm just going to drive into that bulldozer for no reason. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. It, to, to me, it kind of feels like if you're playing checkers or even chess or something with a small kid and they realize they're going to lose. And so they're like, whatever. And they just like turn <laughs> over the board and like walk away. I, That's kind of what it felt like to me. It's like, well, wait a second. Yeah. Like, that's not a really great 
ending to this. But I actually feel like it's the adult that does it. <laughs> They're right, playing with a kid right. and they're like, I don't even know if I'm going to lose. I just fucking don't want to play this anymore. I'm leaving. You know? And you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just didn't enjoy it. It didn't feel- Checkmate, fucker. And then like just push the board over. <laughs> yeah. Didn't feel warranted. We're done here. The machine has said that we do have to wrap this up here. So a few different things here. Both Roger Ebert and Pauline Kale did not review this movie back in 1971. But I did, I've gone to Letterboxd here again, Dave, and I've gone through some of the users here. So for the negative review, I am going to call up Ultimate Movie Rankings. These awesome. are Ultimate Movie Rankings. Uh, they watched this back on February 10th, 2014. And what they said was, Vanishing Point is one of the movies listed in Danny Peary's Cult Movies Volume 2 book. <laughs> so when I found a Blu-ray version of the movie for a buck at a thrift store, I was all over it. At least half the movie is literally watching a car drive on streets. Decent stunts do not make up for a story that does not make much sense. Turns out, even Danny Peary is not much of a fan of the movie either. So I wonder how this movie developed a cult following. Wait a minute, early 70s? I'm thinking drug use had something to do with it. 11 people like that review. <laughs> oh. Just to let you know. Yeah, that's good. We should start doing our critics' choice from this and then like, <laughs> note right. how popular the opinions are. <laughs> well, here is uh, another uh, user, Andy Summers. Mm. Uh, he also watched this back in 2014. He gave it four and a half stars. Wow. The other person gave it two and a half, by the way. This is a four and a half star review. And he says, there are some movies that are so cult that even regular film fans wouldn't have even heard of them. That's exactly how I felt last year when I saw Vanishing Point for the very first time. It was a bolt from the blue, a true revelation, a stunningly cool and subversive movie that I simply loved. Safarian also turned a 1970 Dodge Challenger into another of those cars to purchase when that lottery win arrives. Barry Newman became the ultimate anti-hero with his stellar turn as the iconic Kowalski, a former war hero, policeman, and racing driver with inner demons that eat at his soul. He's now a car delivery driver with a speed habit and another kind of speed habit that keeps him on the go constantly. This is essentially a simple car chase film with an attitude. We get everything from drugs, crooked cops, colorful DJs guiding Kowalski's fate to racism, freedom, and the death of the 60s. It's B-movie Nirvana with terrific stunt work, fast cars, and a soundtrack that's almost too cool for school. I'm not even a big car fan. I ride motorbikes. Humble oh break here God. in this review, Andy. <laughs> but this I found very engaging from start to finish. It has a touch of Easy Rider about it with some of those trademark hippie vibes and a copious amount of drug use. But who cares? I just love this. Uh, 102 people like that review. Fuck off. That is, <laughs> I mean, whether you like the movie or not, that is a horrible write-up. Wow. Mo using wow. the Dave word- Wow, throwing shots over here. Motorbike is embarrassing. And uh, too cool for school tells me that guy is like, 50. Yeah. <laughs> very well could be. Yeah. We are also going to rate this movie here very shortly, which I'm excited to know about. But uh, Dave, we do have to ask the question that we ask every week here. Does this hold up and do you think it's still culturally relevant? No, I don't think so. I, I get, you know, we've brought this up so many times. It's just my standard answer now. We have not addressed or won any of these problems, right? There's still uh, hmm. corruption, pedophilia, racism, a problematic things with equal rights and all that kind of shit. But it's not relevant because, I don't know, who cares? This movie doesn't do enough to address them in a digestible manner. It's a lot like Billy Jack where it has some pure intentions and it's just, it's too messy. And as far as holding up, film has evolved too much. It's not that exciting, frankly. Uh, you brought up a good point. I mean, it's shot well enough for its 
era. But you know, if I was sitting down with somebody, I would not be like, "We gotta really watch Vanishing Point. It's fucking beautiful, man." So, no, I I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna starkly disagree with you this week. I'm gonna say yes and yes for this. Oof. I do think it holds up, and I do still think it's culturally relevant. Here only because I guess formally, I think it's culturally relevant in that so many people still reference this movie in their work, and I think that that is what its lasting legacy is gonna be. I do think it holds up. I I guess I would put the asterisk next to that, depending on what type of film fan you are this is much more of those uh, of a film that is slow paced intellectual than it is like this is going to be the fast and the furious like if you are a hardcore fast and furious fan maybe not like that's what you're thinking this movie is going to be then then no but for for someone who wants to like a bit of a like a ponderous take on like the dying of the 60s and like watching america go by as this guy drives his car then yeah i think there's a lot of stuff in here that you can how much pondering um, would you say to like would you describe yourself as I think pondering? This is 60 percent pondering <laughs> uh it, it's a it's a 60 on the pondering scale do you ponder at ponds is that is it important to be sitting by a pond when you're pondering always feeding the ducks it's great i like feeding the ducks to alligators as far as other people like Spielberg and Tarantino both list this as one of their favorite films of all time. Talked about how this influenced Death Proof for Tarantino. Edgar Wright has named this as one of his 1,000 favorite films. A thousand is a big list, right? I mean, that's not saying a lot. I'm not even sure if I've watched it though. No, we probably have. The band Primal Scream made an album in 1997 called Vanishing Point, uh, which is based on this movie. Super Soul, the character Super Soul's last American hero speech that he does in the middle of this movie, uh, are used in the lyrics for a Guns N' Roses song called Breakdown. By the way, these are not super uh, recent examples I know, but I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Bruce Springsteen has said that this is also one of his favorite films. Homages to this movie have been made in the video games Gridded 2 and Driver. There was a remake of this movie in 1997. It was a made-for-TV movie starring Viggo Mortensen. Oh, wow. And there was supposed to have been another remake directed by Richard Kelly of Donnie Darko fame, but then he released Southland Tales and it didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, I I think they still want to try and remake this movie. I think it's on the top of the list for what used to be Fox and is now Disney. Well, you brought up Spielberg and we forgot to kind of touch on this, Mm -hmm. but I mean, between this and Drive, I mean, Drive is a superior film. You mean Duel? Not Duel, sorry. Um, it's a superior film. It doesn't uh, try to attack social commentary uh, other than like maybe mm-hmm. psychology and the male ego and all that kind of shit. Well, but it's yeah. just shot well, right? I mean, it's just- That's, a hard, that's a hard part about this is that I, I agree with you in saying that if it was an AB, like choose which one to watch now, I'm, I'm going to ask to watch Duel. Yeah. That being said, maybe that's, maybe I'm part of the problem, right? Like the Spielbergification of filmmaking would prove him to be right. Like this is what people want is something that doesn't really necessarily address social issues all that much. Cause the one that really puts that or tries to do that ends up being the stuff that people don't want to go and see. Uh, I mean, uh, I am trying to think about Spielberg's oeuvre and whether that's fair, right? I think that his films actually do bring up these emotional and psychological themes. He's just not heavy handed about it. Duel you know, it's not a movie where it's like popcorn flick. It has a popcorn flick element because he's so good at building visual uh, sets where you're like, you know, engaged in whatever the action is. But that, in, for, for example, is a movie about the uselessness of this like, uh, right, uh, male aggressiveness, mm-hmm. this ego, this idea of like, I've just got to win for no reason. I mean, it's actually very similar to mm-hmm. the uh, driving force of Kowalski. I mean, uh, we have different 
protagonist. We have a weak guy versus so-called invincible fucking Superman who's mm-hmm. done everything right his whole life. But I don't know. I mean, that guy doesn't win at the end of Duel. I mean, the, the these, of course, were both made in 1971. If this had been made in, like, say, 1973, Vanishing Point, I mean... It would have been cool, like the one semi that he semi that he comes against would have been the actual truck from, yeah, from Duel like that throw, would have like yeah, the, yeah. a little, little throwaway gag sort of thing. Anyways, that is what Dave and I thought about Vanishing Point. What do you think? Please send us any feedback or comments or questions that you have to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We're also on YouTube where we do two videos each week, one a trailer reaction another one a short video review of the film we're talking about that week if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given you can go to our letterbox page over at letterbox.com slash kdvstm and if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there is a link in the show notes of this episode you can support for as low as a dollar per month something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts so Dave, out of five, what would you rate Vanishing Point? I think I'm going to side with negative Nancy commentator on uh, Letterboxd and go with a two and a half. I, like, this is not a terrible wow. movie, you know? It's it's not bad. I just, I feel disconnected from it. So I didn't hate it, um, but I would not choose to watch it again. I don't think it deserves cult following status, irregardless of mm. famous people. Like, I mean, Tarantino loved uh, Pretty Maids all in a row, but that that's a piece of shit, true, true so enough. it doesn't matter, <laughs> at least for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll stay right in the middle and uh, and feel good about it. I like this a lot. I really did. I really enjoyed my time watching this. I probably will rewatch this again at some point. Like I said, I have quibbles with the ending and some of the flashbacks and, and that sort of thing, but I'm giving it a four. I'm giving wow, it a solid four. That's pretty high. It is pretty high. That is going to average to 3.25 which will be rounding down to a three on letterboxd that ties with three other films dave oh wow this is the this is the same three films from last week so my uncle antoine dirty harry escape from the planet of the apes yeah it's at the bottom so where would you unquestionably really yeah well okay well where would, would you put, put it, it? I, I put it above apes i would put it above apes personally fine i'm okay with that i mean i think <laughs> i think they're on par right they're uh they're both trying too hard. Apes felt much more made for TV than this one. This one is shot more like yeah. a film, but I don't know. Neither of them is particularly successful at, at what they're trying to tell us. So fine. We can put above apes. Roddy McDowell is crying okay. in his grave, but uh, it's fine. <laughs> well, okay. And you, you, I'll call up his surviving kin and, and, and comfort them. The McDowells so will be called. Entering our name. list at the new number 14 position is Vanishing Point. All right, I guess we should discover what we're going to be watching here next week, Dave. I'm going to push this button over here. Oh boy, okay. Um, This is a film I've only really started to hear about here in the last year as it has had a cultural reevaluation. Another cult film. Another car movie, Dave. We're ending this year with a bunch of car movies, apparently. Uh, We're going to watch Tulane Blacktop. There's no way I'm going to like this film. Thank you, Kyle. No, there's probably no way, but uh, (laughs) Tulane Blacktop is what we're going to be watching here next week. Can't wait. Uh, so you got to finish off strong. Yeah, I know, I know. When we get back to Earth, what's the first thing you want to do, Dave? Take a nap. What's the first thing you're going to do? Yeah, not watch a movie for like two years and then come back, yeah. reinvigorate I'm it. Uh, Driving the, the two bulldozers, I think, is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Ah. 
I think more arguments should be solved with roundhouse kicks.